Hey everyone, great news. Kitchen Table Magic is now on Hipsters of the Coast. They're the mages with the curly beards and the vegan potion options. Hipsters of the Coast is the premier news and strategy blog for the Magic the Gathering community. They have a unique perspective on things, and Kitchen Table Magic is honored to be joining their lineup. If you're listening to me right now from Hipsters of the Coast, I'm pleased to meet you. You're going to love all of the guests I have lined up for Season 3. And be sure to check out past episodes at kitchentablemagic.org. If you're new to the Hot Sea blog, head on over to hipstersofthecoast.com to get strategy and content for all of your favorite formats. Kitchen Table Magic is brought to you by CardKingdom.com. Are you looking for a modern, legacy, commander, or standard staple? Card Kingdom has it in stock. Looking for that perfect dino to crew your pirate ship helicopter aether train? Ixalan is out now, so order your singles from our affiliate link, cardkingdom.com slash KTM. Kitchen Table Magic is brought to you by Paragon City Games. They're a community-focused game store in Draper, Utah that cares deeply about their player base. They invite you to join their in-store stream at twitch.tv slash paragoncitygames for weekly legacy and standard events. Welcome to Kitchen Table Magic, a storytelling podcast featuring the amazing people of the Magic the Gathering community. I'm your host, Sam Tang. Join me and my guests as we share stories about what MTG means to us, how we got started playing Magic, the ups, the downs, the hilarious stories, and everything in between. Happy Halloween, everyone. This is a very special episode. We're diving into the Magic community's spookiest mystery, the Seance Buyout. Two years ago, Reddit user Jobs141910 created a post giving users a bounty to purchase and destroy as many copies of Seance as possible. Then, about a year ago, the same mysterious user offered a reward of $40,000 worth of bitcoins to whoever pilots a Seance deck to prominence on the Pro Tour. Joining us today, MTG Finance expert Jason Alt is here to enlighten us on the mystery that is Seance Guy. Then, Pro Tour and renowned deck builder Zach Elzik talks to us about how to brew up a competent Seance deck. Our third guest, joining us from the depths of the internet, Seance Guy, Reddit user Jobs141910 himself, is going to be answering our questions. I hope you enjoy my interviews with Jason Alt, Zach Elsick, and Reddit user Jobs141910. Hey everyone, thanks for joining me on Kitchen Table Magic. I'm your host, Sam Tang, and today I'm here with the brilliant Jason Alt. Jason, how are you doing? Brilliant, huh? <laughs> I've heard lots of adjectives applied to me before, but that's a, it's a first time for brilliant. Well, you are quite brilliant because you have a lot of MTG Finance experience and you are the co-host of several podcasts. Yeah, all right. I'll allow it. (laughs) You will allow it. You know, what's actually kind of funny is uh, kind of a little while ago, you became the mayor of Flavortown. Oh, yeah. Interesting. Uh, That's uh, my Halloween costume, actually. Uh, So uh, what happened was back at uh, Grand Prix Las Vegas, the brainstormbrewery.com Patreon uh, at patreon.com slash brainstormbrewery. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) 
was hovering around 600 bucks a month, which, you know, we were super fine with. I was at Guy Fieri's restaurant. I was not eating at Guy Fieri's restaurant. I was shanghaied and taken to Guy Fieri's restaurant. <laughs> Against your will. <laughs> Against my will. And I was I was on an angry tweet tirade. Uh, <laughs> I bet if you use the uh, Flavortown hashtag, you can still probably find <laughs> a series of like 12 angry tweets I did at that restaurant. And... Uh, my uh, Brainstorm Brewery co-host, Marcel, uh, formerly a Brainstorm Brewery, uh, he videotaped me saying that if our Patreon hit $1,000 a month, that I would become the mayor of Flavortown, I would dye my hair, I would have his uh, dumb facial hair and dye that, <laughs> I would wear flame shirts, I would say things were bananas, unironically, <laughs> I would know what donkey sauce was, <laughs> like, uh, I would I would do the whole, and the, the Patreon hit 1000 very quickly, because I guess that was very tasty bait. Uh, I don't know. There's a Photoshop picture of like, what would Guy Fieri look like with normal hair? And it just looks like my dad. Like, it, it looks a lot like me. I was I was a little disturbed how much like clean shaven Guy Fieri kind of looks like me. So, uh, <laughs> you know what? I, I just, I leaned into it. I was like, if this is, if this is my fate, uh, why not have some fun with it and give some value for our patrons? So uh, I make good on that, and uh, that's that's sort of what I'm doing for Halloween. I'm gonna be Guy Fieri, who honestly is pretty terrifying. Like, <laughs> if, if I were on the street and I looked one way and I saw like Freddy Krueger, and I looked the other way and saw Guy Fieri, I would probably take my chances with Freddy Krueger. <laughs> so, so you're gonna be out there making like candied apple rum shots with tequilas and raisins and donkey sauce, throwing ban flaming bananas on everything for that Halloween. That sounds awesome, actually. Kids would come by the house and like, "Why did he give me tequila, mom?" That's for daddy. All right. <laughs> candied, candied bacon with tequila on fire with bananas. So, oh gosh, that is too funny. Well, you're a great sport, Jason. And I'm glad that Brainstorm Brewery hit that uh, Patreon goal because then we've just got more opportunities to really kind of see you in action. But, you know, like all things, uh, we start at the beginning. Jason, could you please share with the audience how you uh, found magic and also where you grew up? Uh, I grew up in the Serial City. Some people will know that's uh, Battle Creek, Michigan. They made a movie about like Battle Creek's origins called The Road to Wellsville. So for those who don't know, Battle Creek had a sanitarium where people would come from miles around in the 1800s to, I don't know, go get yogurt enemas and do jumping jacks and bloomers and... You know, get well the way they thought you got well back in the 1800s. Um, the guy who owned the Battle Creek Sanitarium, his brother actually was, they were working on these weird flour, corn flour flakes, breakfast flakes, I guess, and they cooked them wrong and they got all flaky and they invented cornflakes cereal. So all these people came to Battle Creek uh, to make cereal, and uh, that's sort of all that's going on there. So, like, growing up, my dad worked at Kellogg's, so uh, that was, like, the only game in town, basically. We were all cereal people wait, in wait, that town. Wait, so. you're, wait, wait, Jason, you're, you're, you're joking me. That The history of breakfast cereal came out of a botched food experiment in a sanitarium where people were giving each other, like, ice pick lobotomies? I mean, not ice pick lobotomies. That was actually invented much later. But, yeah, I mean... This, yeah, exactly. The history of breakfast cereal <laughs> is, it's actually nuts. They, um, <laughs> That's if so you do crazy. any reading, because uh, the guy who invented the, the cereal, William K. Kellogg, he's sort of like, ah, I'm sort of just a regular dude. And his brother, John Harvey Kellogg, the guy who ran the sanitarium, was certifiable bonkers. 
Like, he was trying to make a food out of corn flour that was so tasteless, people wouldn't masturbate. Like, that was the whole oh history of breakfast here. Oh it's my actually, gosh. It's actually, in, it's, it's insane when you read about it. And that was just sort of stuff we all just sort of learned about growing up in Battle Creek. So... Uh, <laughs> I've I've lived all over because my dad worked at Kellogg's, but Kellogg's has plants all over the world. So I lived in South Carolina for a few years. I lived in Manchester, England, for a few years. Like I got to I got to move around. So it was a it was a pretty good childhood, but it was mostly in Battle Creek, and that was actually where I was on a Boy Scout camping trip when a friend of mine told me about this crazy card game he liked that nobody else played with him, and. Uh, he told me where I could get cards, and as soon as I got them, I realized that they were for sale everywhere, and I just never noticed. <laughs> you know, it's kind of like that 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 Bader Meinhof. Like as soon as I found out about Magic, I was like, "Oh, it's been around me the whole time." Oh, there's an LGS in town that has Monday Night Magic Night, and I just never knew about any of this. So, like once I was in, I was I was in pretty deep. It, I was sort of like a 12 year old mowing lawns all summer, so my friend and I could go halfsies on a fourth edition starter deck box. We got five decks each. Like that was, <laughs> that was what we, because a hundred bucks was, a, it's a lot to two 12 year olds. Wow. That is awesome. So yeah, we were, we were all about Magic the Gathering and uh, I didn't get good until like 2002 because it's sort of like that, like I'm the best Magic player in my school. And then you go and meet people that actually like know what they're doing. I thought I was like hardcore because I read Duelist magazine. Other people were like, "Yeah, we." I'm in a Usenet group with Adrian Sullivan, and he's talking about Reanimator Tech, and I'm like, "I think Shiva Dragon's pretty good." So <laughs> the internet really, really helped a lot. You know, that kind of, you know, that was a, a great, a great tool for not only finding places to play, but also like just reading about what people were really doing and not relying on. Duelist magazine, which is so funny. My dream was to write for Duelist. Really? Yeah. And like, it's so funny that I just couldn't have conceived that the internet would be like the only place anybody got anything. You know, I was like, the internet's a cool supplement to Duelist magazine. But like, I just never, I never anticipated how stupid and unnecessary it was to have a month lead time on the thing and get it printed and shipped out. Like, that was such a dumb, inefficient, antiquated, but I was sort of like, yeah, I want to write for Duelist. And, I don't know, I'm not quite at the equivalent. I guess that would be writing for the mothership, but maybe someday. Wow, that is so interesting. Okay, so, fast forward to kind of modern times. You grew up, but how did you get into MTG Finance is what you're really known for? Well, um... It's no coincidence that Ryan Bouchard, the uh, former QS writer, former Gathering Magic writer, uh, current buyer for 95 MTG, you know, uh, finance guru, Brainstorm Brewery co-host, like, Ryan Bouchard is sort of like one of the people that were on the, like, the very forefront of MTG finance content creation. He was just my friend from the LGS. If you guys don't like me as a content creator, blame Ryan Bush. Direct all your hate mail to him. It's his fault. <laughs> I was actually working as an analytical chemist who was just like a, a spike, right? I was just sort of just playing magic all the time. Thought EDH was for nerds. Uh, <laughs> you know, I was I was real spiky. Legacy was my favorite format. I was that guy. And um, I was working on a, a one-year contract for a pharmaceutical company. And at the end of it, I would have had, you know, to find another job, hopefully local. You know, that's just sort of how it goes. You do these one-year contracts until someplace picks you up uh, permanently. Ryan at the time was working as a, 
as an engineer, and he was finishing up an accounting, I think, associates or maybe even bachelor's. Like he was, he was trying to get into that because he didn't really like engineering that much. And he's like, you know what? I, I'm, I make enough money backpack grinding that I think I'm just gonna try. Since I'm still young, I'm gonna try doing MTG finance full time. See if I can't go to every Grand Prix and just make enough money buy listing and like selling locally and buying locally that I could, you know, completely finance my life. Because when you're like 21 living in a college town, your expenses are like 300 bucks a month. Like an MTG financier can make 300 bucks a month on accident. You know, <laughs> you can do that in <laughs> yeah. one good trade. So I'm, I'm just going to try it. And I was like, that's cool. You know what? I'd love to help you out and sort of learn from you a little bit. So if anything doesn't pan out with my job, I'd love to just tag along to a few Grand Prix, not play, just see what you do. And this was 2011, probably. Mm-hmm. When my contract was up, I was like, I'm going to still look for a job. But I'm going to tag along with Ryan and see. And I picked it up a lot faster than I thought I would. I thought it was, you know, MTG Finance is real mysterious and nobody really knows. But, like, once I learned a few secret handshakes, I realized that just knowing prices from being a Magic player, knowing what cards were good from being a Magic player, like, all those instincts actually made MTG Finance a lot less mysterious because a lot of it's common sense. A lot of MTG Finance is just doing stuff nobody else is bothering to do. People don't realize. They think they're. They think there's like magic. It's like, oh, they're doing. People think a lot of it's speculation. I would say speculation's ten percent of the money I make. It's fun, but it's like a guy who has a forty-hour a week job and occasionally buys lottery tickets. I guess, right? Mm-hmm. So ninety per, my my forty-hour a week job in MTG Finance is going and finding collections, trading with people at the shops, filling orders for people, you know, buying collections, flipping them, you know, getting bulk, making up instant collections, selling. I have a case at an LGS, so I sell singles and instant collections out of that. Just grinding, you know, doing the kind of stuff. Sitting watching Netflix for four hours while you. Sort cards a night, you know. People don't want to do that kind of junk. And that's 90% of what I do. Then 10% is like, hey, I think Mana Vortex is going to get played now that more people are playing Zerdex. And uh, what do you know? People start paying attention to Mana Vortex and the price goes up. So, you know, getting ahead of stuff like that is the fun part of MTG Finance, but it shouldn't be more than like 20% of what you do. So... I think a lot of people think most MTG Finance is speculating. It's not. A lot of it's grinding, listing cards on TCG Player and putting them in plain white envelopes. <laughs> and, uh, you know, that's not sexy. People like the sexy part. They want to be like, ah, I was on Death's Shadow before anybody else. And that's funny because Ryan Bouchard made money on Death Shadow like twice. <laughs> he bought so many copies at 25 cents that when it hit $3... He sold all of them and bought a Jaguar. What? Yeah. Oh, used Jaguar, but still a Jaguar. Like, (laughs) (laughs) telling people you bought a used Jaguar on Craigslist, again, isn't sexy. So, we'll pretend (laughs) it's the MTG Finance equivalent. He's like, he bought a new Jag. It's new to him. (laughs) So, whatever. Like, and then, and he bought a bunch more Death Shadows when it went back down, and then he hit again. And now, it's like a... It was a $20 card before it was reprinted in, what, Eternal Masters? So, that uh, that guy taught me to go super deep on cards, and uh, that was a good lesson. Because when you really feel strongly about something, I would say I've had four or five Death Shadows in the last six years. That's it. Wow. But knowing, knowing to go deep is, uh, you know, you're gambling. 
But you got the money to gamble because you make so much money just picking up copies of Parallel Lives for 50 cents when the card's brand new and just putting them in a box because you got a good feeling. Wow, that is amazing. And uh, Jason, you know, you are here today for an extra spooky edition of Kitchen Table Magic on this uh, Halloween. And we're going to be talking about something kind of creepy in itself. Seance. Ooh, cues creepy music. You know, seance itself is not sort of creepy. I mean, it, it was in the old Innistrad block, but it also has a kind of a mystery in this community because there was a guy on Reddit or a guy, a gal, a group of people, we don't really know, but there was a person on Reddit under the username jobs141910 asking people to buy copies of seance, destroy them, prove it, and then, you know, they're going to get sent a little bit of money for that, like a bounty on destruction of seance. And then that individual was also going to offer $40,000 worth of Bitcoin to anyone that would bring a seance deck to competitive prominence, either in the Pro Tour or a modern GP or something like that. And so that kind of was collectively referred to in the community as the seance buyout in air quotes. Jason, is that history somewhat accurate about seance guy? Yeah. And one thing I would like to note is so many people thought that was me. <laughs> and the reason for that is uh, I'm going to talk about Ryan Bouchard a lot because how can I not? Uh, he's one of my best friends. He's you know a local guy. We spent a lot of time together over the last five years. Ryan and I were sort of really strong advocates for Seance. When RTR first came out, that first tournament, everyone was on that Black Green Zombies deck, if you'll remember. Yeah. People don't remember this uh, this scandal because Jerry T shrugged it off. But Jerry T wrote on Star City Premium, which I still subscribed to at that point. I was like, I'm a spike. I need premium. Uh, <laughs> he was like, the deck is for Abrupt Decay, for the troll. I don't even remember. It was Lotleth like a green black Lala troll, yeah. And just crap like that, like the carton the the plant thing. <laughs> like it was just that deck. The green black zombies was gonna be the deck. And uh he ended up playing a red white blue deck that just beat that deck's pants off. Uh -huh. So he basically advocated for that being the deck. Lotleth troll went to twenty dollars. Yep. Overgrown Tomb went to like eighteen dollars. You know, Abrupt Decay was like fifteen, eighteen bucks. It was it was nuts. Like that was the deck for that weekend. And Ryan and uh, Ray Perez, who uh, Ray Future Pro, I think a lot of people know him. Uh, he was he was a uh, Rookie of the Year after uh, someone who cheated. Got Rookie of the Year taken away from them. Like, that Ray Perez. He's a local guy also, which is, it's so funny how many people just came out of the, the Lansing, Michigan scene. Uh, so, Ray and Ryan had come up with this stupid seance deck that just crushed the Zombies deck. Because you played Trostani and just gained a ton of life and the Zombies deck just couldn't hit you hard enough. Mm -hmm. Like, what you would do, there was that Centaur the 3-3 Centaur that gained 3 life when it comes into play. Centaur Healer. Yeah, I don't think people even read Seance because it's both turns. So on <laughs> their turn, you would make a copy of Centaur Healer, gain 3 life, and have a blocker. And they're like, ugh, I'll swing with Lot with Troll. You're like, I will block with a token that's dying. Oh, by the way, I gained 6 life because when the Centaur Healer token came into play, it triggered Trastani, and then I'll populate, keep the token, I'll gain 6 more life, and the Zombies deck's like, I have no idea how to beat you. And then you would just crater hoof them. Like, it was... Yeah, it was a ton, it was a ton of fun. So, 
Seance was just crushing that zombies deck. And I watched Ryan top eight regionals. It was great, you know, watching the Seance really get there. And I was like, man, once the internet finds out about how good this card is, you know, so I bought Star City out. They restocked at a higher price. I bought them out again. I bought out Card Shark because that was still a thing. Like, I just, I bought hundreds of copies of Seance. I was wow. all in on it. And there was... I guess it was states. It wouldn't have been regionals. I guess it was states. So, like, Nevada states, a guy got first place with a seance deck. Like, there were some top eights in other states. And the whole internet, like, the Travis Woos of the world just sort of went <laughs> and said, this card's bad. It didn't matter how <laughs> how the deck did. They're like, we're oh, what are the odds that every good player isn't on seance? You know, that was what everyone said. Like, if Seance were really good, everybody would be playing it, which is dumb logic. But at the same time, if if you have enough people that are in a position to influence people saying, this card sucks, then there's nothing you can do. And then basically everyone just started playing the right stacks. You know, that's that they they played right stacks instead. And there was, you know, really nothing that you could do at that point. Yeah. So, uh, you know, when Innistrad came out there, Seance was was done. And then the right decks got really good later when you had Praetors to reanimate. But for a while, everyone was doing really dumb stuff with, uh, you know, with Trustani and stuff like that. And uh, there was another Seance deck where you milled yourself and one with Lab Maniac. You used Mirror Mad Phantasm mm-hmm. to fail to find a copy of itself and you deck yourself. And everyone's, you know, Cedric Phillips uh, sent Ryan a message saying like, hey, just want to let you know I'm playing a Seance deck on my stream tonight. And Ryan and I were like, yes. All these people are going to see Cedric Phillips do well with a seance deck. And then he played that stupid Miramad Phantasm deck, went like two and two in a daily. And he was like, this sucks. And everyone was like, boo, <laughs> seance sucks. So we were left with all these copies of seance. But luckily, the price went up a little bit and I was able to sell enough copies to break even. Mm-hmm. And uh, I sold enough copies to make the um, that break even amount again later. And I still have hundreds of copies left that are free. Oh, my god! It's like a bulk rare now because it got reprinted. <laughs> so, I didn't lose. I made money on, on Seance, but I didn't make real money. Like, if this, if it had gone to four bucks, I would have made a couple grand. Wow. But I didn't. I went real deep on the card. But I, I made my money back plus that amount again. So I can't really complain. I made I made money on Seance and I got to get crapped on by every MTG Finance writer and podcaster for a while. Because Ryan was a big advocate of the card too. But for whatever reason, I am the one that had it stink on me. Because I guess because I was so I was so fervent about it. I was like, this is this card is the truth. But like no one cared. <laughs> and then it became obsolete as soon as everyone's like, yeah, why would I want Illish Norn for two seconds when I can just, you know, Umbarrel writes it, which it's hard to argue. So um, that was a little bit disappointing, but I think everybody still remembered that because it was, I would like every once in a while I would say something's like, yeah, but didn't you say on that? Like, like that was the big zinger, you know, I made a couple hundred bucks on a card, but I guess I'm a big dum dumb, you know, so <laughs> that's what everyone zinged me with like for years. Uh, I actually co-created the MTG finance subreddit. So that was a good place for me to go on and have people Call me a dumb dumb <laughs> for a card I made money on. But whatever. I I didn't care. I owned it. I was like, yeah, seance, whatever. So the fact that I was so 
I didn't care about it because I didn't I didn't consider it a failure because I don't know wasn't it on Mr. Robot that they said sometimes failures can be uh, profitable so yeah <laughs> so that was a profitable failure of mine so I didn't mind getting ribbed you know by my uh, QS readers and brainstorm brewery listeners so when this guy came on the scene is like buy them and burn them everyone's like hey Jason <laughs> you know. I thought everyone was screwing with me, just like, oh, yeah, seance, that's you, because you're seance. And Ryan got this a little bit, too, because, you know, Ryan was right there with me. He's the guy who brewed the deck. He played it to the top eight at States, like, so he got accused a fair amount of being seance guy also. I don't know who it is. Wow. It could be a girl, seance girl. It could be seance group of people. I don't know. I never had enough copies of Seance that if I gave someone $40,000 in Bitcoins, I would make that money back on Seance going up a couple of dollars. Huh, interesting. It's a non-mythic rare from the post-mythic era. There were lots of copies. Dark Ascension wasn't a great set, but it was still a set, you know, so I don't know. It needs to get to like Snapcaster Mage famous of like a rare for it to really make money. Yeah, I'm not making 40 grand on... <laughs> if I had every copy of Seance that I ever bought to this day still, I don't know what it would have to hit for me to make 40 grand, but yeah, uh, I'll save my Bitcoins. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> okay. Okay. So, listeners, for the record, uh, Jason Alt, are you Seance guy? I mean, no, but wouldn't I say I wasn't, even if I were? I don't know. Actually, I have no idea. Seance guy would have copped to it if they were interested in being known, right? So, the fact that I'm denying it only says that I have a good narrative for denying it. I uh, I have to imagine that if I were Seance guy and I weren't publicly, my identity weren't publicly known at this point, it's probably because I wouldn't want it to be, so I would just say I wasn't. So, <laughs> insofar as you can believe what I say, it's it's not me. And I don't know who it is, but also, I'm pretty sure that if I did know who it is, I probably wouldn't tell people, because it's just too much fun. The mystery surrounding it's too much fun. That that goober uploading the video of him burning the big old stack of seances just made me laugh. <laughs> the whole, someone play this. And you know, the card reemerged not because the guy did the thing. If people will remember, there was a Seance Ghostway deck that top-aided some modern event, I feel like. It was... Because Muldrifter's real good with Seance. Stuff like that, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, people read the card. It's both upkeeps. Yeah, so yeah. So you get a Muldrifter on their turn, you know? It's dumb. You know, it's no Trostani, but still, like, you get you get a ton of value. Imagine you... But it's, it's not... You're not playing cards that are great and modern otherwise. That's why... It's such an EDH card, and I think that's what it resonated with me. Just doing dumb EDH stuff. Seance and Trostani, that's some EDH crap, right? Like, that's what you do in that <laughs> format. Like, look at all the life I gained putting my... You know, whatever. Bane of Progress token out and populating <laughs> and gaining all this life. That's what you like to do in, you know, a goof format. It's it's a hard sell to get people to play a card like Seance in Modern, even though there's there are a couple modern playable cards it's real good with. So somebody did well one time with it in Modern, and the, the guy's like, ah, we'll do it again. But I don't know. I think even though he probably bought all his Seances for bulk, which is where I bought mine, I can't imagine having enough copies to make because he burned how many and it didn't make a dent you know yeah and the, and the reprint no one saw that coming that was just a total blowout <laughs> the, re the reprint was 
<laughs> That's hilarious. That is hilarious. So, like, even even if he were eventually going to get there, which would have been really funny, you know, there's no way it's going to happen now. <laughs> that is really funny. Okay. Well, Jason, what is the implications for the magic community as a whole when it comes to things like this, like the seance buyout? Well, this was this was a, a someone doing something goofy and totally whiffing on it, right? Like the real successful buyouts are the uh, the ones that I, I think you don't have to make the case for a card to somebody. You know, I think for whatever reason, I think Seance is an absurdly powerful card, but it's it's a little bit narrow because it's not good in every EDH deck. Like it's a trust honey staple, but so what? No one has a trust honey deck, right? <laughs> so. <Yeah. laughs> Like, Ryan's got one. <laughs> That's his, like, one EDH deck. Because, of course, it is. But, I mean, it's it's sort of a narrow card. People don't like taking stuff out of their graveyard and not getting it back. You know, they don't like exiling their stuff. White's not a great color for it to be in. I guess Anointed Procession really helps the card. It got, it got better in EDH with the printing of Anointed Procession. But, like, this was... Uh, Really just a card that, for whatever reason, nobody's as, as excited about it as I am. And when you have a card like that, you're not going to be able to just make a card spike. The real stuff is people being like, I think this week we're going to all buy Season of the Witch. I don't know why. Because Season of the Witch is an old reserve list card from the dark. There are probably more double-sided foil tokens from the Hell Vault then there are copies of Season of the Witch, right? Like, how many dark rares are there? So, they just buy a reserve list card and it just goes up to $13 from 25 cents and everyone's like, well, I guess I'll pay 13 bucks if I want it in my deck. And it, that's, that's, the, that's the buyouts that annoy people. Hmm. That's the drop of honey is $1,000 now. Yeah. Kind of crap that annoys people. So, I wouldn't worry about some goober with his seances and his can of lighter fluid. That's pretty harmless, you know? You weren't going to buy a seance anyway, so if the price goes up, what do you care? <laughs> but it's stores that have the kind of capital to really ruin prices, making their buy list price of a card. And I'm not going to name a store in particular because all of the store, well, not all the stores, but a lot of the stores are guilty of this. You know, you name a store, I could tell you off the record which card they've done this to. Where they just make their buy price the current retail price. Now, if you're a backpack grinder and you got four Tarmogoyfs in your binder, right? And you spend the weekend trying to trade them and then you take some other cards and try to build toward a Tarmogoyf. And you take your four Tarmogoyfs and turn them into 10. Then you go to a dealer and they're like, these are 120 retail. I'll pay you 75. And you're like, all right, that sounds good to me. Or the, the, I'll pay 80. That sounds even better. All of a sudden, some dealer's paying 110 wow. on the buy list, and it's 120 retail. You stop what you're doing. You take your whole trade binder, and you are Tarmo guy. You go to every person in the room, you're like, do you have Tarmogoy for trade? And you just throw everything at them. You give them $140 in trade for their $120 Tarmogoyf, just so they will trade it to you. Why? Because $140 retail is maybe 95 buy list versus 110 for the Tarmogoyf, right? So yeah. you, just, you just get every Goyf, and then all of a sudden, the dealers didn't have to do anything. They didn't have to go around to everybody in the room and offer to buy their Tarmogoyf. They let the people on the floor that were going to buy list do it for them. That's what the hot list is all about. There's, you've heard buy list, but the hot list is a, a, a thing also where people like, we need Vendillion Click. So we're going to pay 80% of retail on Vendillion Click. Every other card, we're paying 60% of retail. So all of a sudden, you're like, wow, I could take this $20 pile of cards 
and turn it into a $20 V-click and get, you know, 80% of that versus 60%. It makes no sense not to do that. Why would you buy list another card when you can just buy list just hot list cards? So you can trade straight across because value trading is not really a thing anymore. People think it's because they have smartphones to protect themselves, but really those smartphones just make it a pain. It makes it it makes it so inconvenient and time consuming and dumb to trade with you that we don't want to do it. It's not that like, oh, I can't ho- hose that guy cuz I'm a shark and I like to steal cards from people by telling them the wrong prices, but oh, he sleuthed it by looking it up and now I can't rip him off. If I want to get a card from you that's worth more than the card I'm trading away, I'll do it. If you have a bunch of small value cards that you want to trade for one big card of mine, I'll just recommend that we use Star City Games prices because they charge more for their bulk rares. And I'll get a dollar twenty for eighty cent bulk rares, and then you know I'll be able to buy list them for fifty cents or whatever. If you have a you know a bunch of small cards, and it's if you want to do vice versa, you just use TCG player prices. Like it's it's not hard. You both use TCG player prices, but all of a sudden, like, the little cards are worth nothing, and the big cards worth less also. But, you know, you get all their small cards for a lesser price, and then you trade them the big card. So, it's not that, like, trying to rip people off as much as we're just trying to get a card that a dealer will pay us more money for. Interesting. So, so a lot of people are like, oh, you know, the, the backpack grinders, they're sharks. But in, in all honesty, really, what was happening was that people were like... I want to take a bunch of crap in a binder to a GP. I want some guy to come up to me and give me the last card I need for my EDH deck. I want to give him cards I care nothing about, and I want to get the exact card I'm looking for. I want someone to bring it to me. But I'm not going to give him a penny in value. It has to add up completely across the board, which is a little bit kind of selfish and ridiculous when you think about it in those terms. People are like, I want everything, and the other person gets nothing. Otherwise, they're trying to rip me off. That's why trading died two or three years ago. You know, it's just, it's not worth it anymore. People were too anti... And I think there were a lot of really annoying people that just came up to everyone. Trades, trades, trades. And they're just like trying to play EDH. I, I get that. A lot of backpack and binder grinders were like super annoying. I get that. But <laughs> I haven't traded for years. It's just not worth it. I don't even remember what question I was answering. <laughs> the implications to the magic community. Oh my god, that was like an hour ago. Um, <laughs> just telling you the, like the history of binder grinding. So, whatever. Uh, <laughs> so, that's, uh, that's sort of why trading doesn't... I mean, some people still do it, but it's like it's just so annoying that I don't bother with it anymore. I, I have people at home that want orders. I trade with people in the LGS because they, they trust me enough. I don't rip people off in the LGS. I don't rip people off locally. So we just use my numbers and it's faster. That's all it's about. It's just, it's so slow to trade with someone's going to look up every card on their stupid phone app. And it's not because you can't rip them off because it was never about ripping them off. It was about saying, I don't care what cards you give me. I, I don't care. The cards mean nothing. The cards mean everything to you. That's the whole reason you're trading. You're trading because you have cards you don't care about and you want the cards you need. I don't care. I just, I'm going to make money somehow. And it was a good service because we were the interface between the, the, the dealer and the player. Instead of having to pay cash, they take a bunch of stuff about the, out of their binder they don't even care about. And I will go deal, make the cash deal with the dealer on their behalf. But nobody thinks about it that way. They just think about that one time that some shark told them a card was worth $4 and it was worth 11 and they get home. And that feeling in the pit of your stomach, knowing someone lied to you and like essentially stole $7 out of your wallet, feels so bad that they never want to feel that way again. You know, it was a lot of really just antisocial people on the floor making people feel terrible. 
you know, I, I sat down to trade with a guy at a GP in uh, Florida. I'll never forget. He's like, all right, I'm just going to take 20% uh, value from your cards because I do this for a living and it's the only way I can make money if I just take 20% out of the, you know, the value of your cards. Is that fine? I was just like, all right. This other guy, same GP, this guy with like six binders. And if I described him, everyone who's, you know, a binder grinder will know who this guy is. Uh, he tried, I, I told him I needed two like scalding tarns and he tried to like put retail value on his scalding tarns. And then he offered me buy list value on a trop. He tried to do like a trop for two tarns. Wow. In like 2010. Oh, wow. And I was just like, people like you were the worst. I was just getting into finance then. No one knew who I was. I could trade on the floor for like two years when people didn't know who I was. That was great. But it's just, I don't know. There's so many people like that. It's just, it, why would anybody want to trade with a person who came up to them and wanted to trade, right? Yeah. Like, why, why wouldn't your butthole pucker when that happened? <laughs> That's so fascinating. I 100% get it why trading's dead. Like, the traders killed it. But at the same time, man, I wish it were still a thing because it was fun. I could go to a GP and finance the whole weekend just by getting people the cards they wanted and by getting the dealers the cards they wanted. I was doing a service for everybody in the room and I was the most hated person in the room for it. And I, you know, but I got to pay for a whole trip. We got to go to 100 big cities in the US and, you know, a couple in Canada. So it, I think it was worth it. Wow, that is amazing. Okay, everyone, we're going to have more from Jason Alt coming up. But right now, a quick break from our sponsors. Jason, you have a very special Patreon supporters gift for our listeners. Could you tell us what it is? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I've decided to graciously donate a couple dozen, maybe 30 copies of my original seances, the, the Dark Ascension ones, like part of my initial batch. Uh, there were the, the copies I sold to break even. There were the copies I sold to make a, a profit, but I still have uh, hundreds left. So it's uh, it's no sweat at all to me to donate a bunch of those to the Patreon signed. Um, I'm happy to do that. I think that'd be hilarious. And uh, for once, I'm not being asked to sign copies of Chromanticore. So that's a nice break for me. So I, I think, um, I don't know, if you liked this story of, uh, of my seance experience with, uh, you know, going through the initial uh, headache with Ryan, um, it might make you feel a little bit special to know that uh, if you have one of those 30 signs, copies that was you know part of the original batch you know from my own personal stock so i don't know maybe that makes it more special to you maybe not but uh i think that's a good idea and i um i'm happy to do it thank you so much jason i really appreciate that is this a trick or a treat or am i just being clever of course i'm going to be giving away seance signed by jason alt these copies are from his personal collection, so become a supporter at patreon.com slash kitchen table magic to get this very special gift. Hurry, because I've got very limited quantities. This episode of Kitchen Table Magic was brought to you by Paragon City Games. The Kitchen Table Magic podcast has been all about the origins of the game and members of the community. And as a community, we've come a long way since the game first started. Apart from the kitchen table, the only other places in your local community to play Magic are at local game stores. And that's why places like Paragon City Games is so important for our community. At Paragon City Games, you'll find a spacious and clean showroom with lots of elbow room for Magic events. You'll find thoughtful accessories like die-hard metal dice and handcrafted wooden boxes. 
you'll find a huge supply of legacy, modern, and standard staples, sealed product, and tabletop games. It's places like Paragon City Games that allow local communities to gather in. And if you can't make it there in person, please be sure to watch their weekly stream at twitch.tv slash paragoncitygames. Remember to spread the love with a like on Facebook and a follow on Twitter for Paragon City Games. They also have great online reviews and that shows their commitment to excellent customer service for their player community. Okay, everyone, and we are back. Jason, I have some rapid fire questions for you. Are you ready? Oh, yeah. <laughs> okay, I love it. Jason, rapid fire question number one. Of the five colors of magic, white, blue, black, red, and green, what is your favorite color and why? You've read that too. Come on, man. That's not rapid fire. You like you enunciated way too much. <laughs> I'm not stalling to buy time. The snap answer is a uh, green blue tide. <laughs> okay. Don't make me pick. That's like Sophie's choice. Uh, green blue tide. Okay, green blue tide. So you're for sure Simic. Is there another color that you would pair with that? Uh, probably. Yeah, I'm a I'm a Bant guy. Some people okay. are team, or I'm a Bant guy. Nice, nice. And uh, why blue green? Don't know. It just uh. I think it's a good color combination, maybe visually. I think I like doing blue-green stuff. I think I like drawing cards, countering spells, and getting big mana. And, uh, you know, the, that's the kind of stuff I find myself doing in, in EDH. You know, I like controlling the game a little bit, but I also like stalling with blue to buy time, but also getting myself ahead with green. I, I find that's what I want to be doing. You stick one big creature, and then you protect it. You know, it's it's sort of a mid-rangey color combination, and uh, I, I like that. I like uh, I like cards like Void Slime. You know, Mystic Snake. That's my that's my kind of card. You know, I, I like love it. Stuff like that. I love it. I love it. Marshall Sutcliffe is the same way, and I am as well. Okay, Jason. Rapid fire question number two. If you could change something about Magic: The Gathering, what would it be? The community. No, you know what? <laughs> <laughs> the reserve list. <laughs> I would probably. I would like to work on the commander sets because I think there are cards that need to be reprinted. A card, this is kind of, this is not a rapid fire answer. There are cards in the 12 to $15 range that if they're in the EDH precon, they'll be affordable for everybody forever. You know, if they're not reprinted, they go to like 22 bucks or so. And then when the set comes around in a year, they're like, we should really put this $22 card in there, but we can't justify putting a $22 card in a $35 MSRP precon. So where do we reprint this card? You know, where do you reprint Phyrexian Altar if it's not in the Marin deck? So I kind of wish somebody were thinking those thoughts uh, on the, the team that puts those decks together. And uh, that's the one thing I would change is they can't acknowledge the secondary market. You know, Wizards uh, employees can't acknowledge the secondary market. They When Aaron Forsyth came on Brainstorm Brewery, the Wizards legal team was like, we had to send him every question in advance. They had to prep his answer. Like, it was it was a huge thing. They are so careful not to acknowledge the secondary market at all. But they know it exists, right? <laughs> yeah. They don't put $120 worth of cards in one precon and 12 in another. But I wish they could... I wish they balanced it a little bit better. So, I wish stuff like Phyrexian Arena never got to 30 bucks. And some people are like, why don't you want the card to be worth money? But honestly, you know how many more Phyrexian Arenas I would sell for 8 to $11 than I do for 30. Yeah. I sell one $30 Phyrexian Arena. They're like 22 or whatever you can get them, but like it peaked pretty high. And I would just sell so many more $7 copies and it just, it should be in every deck. But how do they reprint it now? So they missed a, a golden opportunity and 
that opportunity passed and the card went way up. I think the same thing is going to happen with Mana Echoes, Shared Animosity, Patriarch's Bidding, you know, stuff like that that wasn't in Commander 2017. If I could change one thing about Magic, I would like to make the stuff that should be affordable affordable. I think the reserve list needs... I think the stuff that's expensive needs to be expensive, but not everything needs to be expensive. And uh, some of the stuff gets expensive that I would be happier if it weren't. And it's real easy to avoid that. And I wish that were something somebody cared about. Yeah, that's a great answer, Jason. I appreciate that. Okay, Jason, rapid fire question number three. If you could give something to every Magic player, what would it be? A bath. No. Um... <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> a signed copy of Seance. <laughs> you know what? I would, I would give them a break. Because I took a break and it's what I needed. I got to the point where I didn't love winning. I hated losing. And I think if I could tell everybody one thing is like, if you hate losing, do something else. Take six months off. Go play a new format. Just get a new perspective. You have to love winning to play Magic competitively. And if you don't love winning, you're not going to have fun if you hate losing. Because you win the whole day, you know, and you didn't have any fun because you're like, yeah, I'm supposed to win. And then you lose and your day's ruined. That sucks. Mm-hmm. But if you love winning, you'd have fun 12 times and then not have as much fun one time. That's way better. So I would I would just give everybody a break if they needed it. Wow. I love that. Okay, Jason, rapid fire question number four. What do you see in the future of Magic the Gathering? I don't ever see this game ending. Isn't that weird? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I know this game will end someday, but I also can't imagine it. In the future, I think they're going to do another dumb set where they have a colorless mana mechanic. Every time they have free spells, they screw up, right? Like, mm-hmm. stop doing free spells. I, I see them making the Eldrazi slash Affinity mistake again. That's something that we can almost guarantee is going to happen. I also think that there are un, like unimaginable good mechanics that are going to come, and I'd like stuff we couldn't even anticipate. So I think the game's just going to get better, and I think they are eventually going to accidentally make a good digital product. <laughs> accidentally. <laughs> At this point, with all the tries, you know, they haven't made a digital product that's better than Chandelar yet, and that's shameful. <laughs> well, they have, believe it or not, made a product that is more successful than Chandelar, which was Duels of the Planeswalker on like Xbox. That was really successful. That's the best way to teach somebody Magic the Gathering. I wish with my 21 years of Magic the Gathering experience, I could sit down with somebody and know I'm going to do a better job teaching this person to play Magic than Duels of the Planeswalkers would, but that's not true. Duels was really amazing. It was perfect. For teaching someone new to play Magic, oh, perfect. It just did everything in the right order, didn't teach them anything they didn't need to know until they needed to know it. It was it was fantastic. And last, Jason, do you have any asks or requests of the listening audience? Uh, do some new stuff, you know? I, uh, I made fun of EDH players tongue-in-cheek, you know, for a while. And I, I'm glad I got into EDH because it's the perfect format for me to play. I don't really play competitive constructed anymore. I'll, I'll play limited. I like booster draft a lot. I think it's a great format. Um, but I don't really play competitive constructed anymore. And I, I think if you're in a rut, maybe try something new, you know, and uh, get your EDH advice from EDHREC.com. 
<laughs> I'll just pl- I'll just every I wish every answer to every question where I could figure out a way to plug something I'm about. Fun. <laughs> well, Jason, I really wanted to thank you, and I really wanted to you know just show you a love and appreciation because uh, you have a lot of great knowledge and you're hilarious, and uh, it definitely shows because you have been the co-host of a phenomenal podcast, a phenomenal set of podcasts, and you've been uh, generating magic content for quite a while now. Uh, I also wanted to acknowledge you because. Uh, creating content is not easy and especially the love and the passion and the commitment that you have for the magic community doing what you do the magic community is a better off place because of what you do so thanks so much for doing what you do and thank you so much for being on kitchen table magic hey thanks for having me it was uh, a lot of fun the seance mystery still has not been solved and i guess we can clear the record that you are not seance guy can we i think we can (laughs) why because i said so who are you gonna listen to me uh, yeah, I am. I, <laughs> I de- well, who knows? What if I'm Seance Sky? But I definitely will tell you that I am not Seance Sky. I uh, definitely uh, posted on Magic Reddit asking with an interview request for user jobs one four one nine one zero two be on this podcast, and uh, I wasn't able to get them. But they did guild my post, so I feel like those are the signs that uh, Seance Guy gal or group has definitely heard us. And I hope that this episode pays homage to it. And, um, you know, just kind of keeps that dream alive because this community needs some fun, quirky, mythical things, right? Yeah. Ever since we stopped letting Mike Long come along around, we, uh, <laughs> we need some excitement. <laughs> yeah. And speaking of Mike Long, I'd love to have him on the podcast, too. Uh, he's a fascinating guy and he now does a lot of online marketing. And recently he got his uh, black Lamborghini to drive around. So he's doing quite well for himself, I think. You know what? It's controversial, but I would like to see him in the Hall of Fame. Like, I realize it's so funny. Like, the other guy I want to see in the Hall of Fame is Chris Pakula, and, like, they couldn't be more different. Uh, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> I can somehow reconcile those two desires. Maybe if I could change one thing about Magic, it would be those two guys in the Hall of Fame. Because, honestly, who's more famous than those two? Yeah, yeah. That's true. That's true. Well, Jason, thank you so much for lending your commentary on Seance. And listeners, this is a doubleheader episode. So coming up next, we have another guest who's going to talk about Seance. But this time, instead of from a finance angle, it'll be from a brewer's angle. Stick around. Thank you so much, Jason. Thanks for having me. Hi, everyone. Thanks for joining me on Kitchen Table Magic. I'm your host, Sam Tang. And today I'm here with the wonderful Zach Elsick. Zach, how are you doing? I am doing great. I thank you for having me on. Very excited. <laughs> yes. And today we're going to be talking about some seance. So happy Halloween. Happy Halloween. Seance is where it's at. <laughs> I love it. And uh, you are quite well known for brewing and refining off the wall ideas that uh, the community and the forums and you really kind of come up with. Right. I That's probably one of the things I enjoy most about playing Magic is the flexibility and variety of decks and strategies that you can tune and play with and actually have some success with. Um, I, I really enjoy that aspect of doing something new and fresh, I guess, as you put it, off the wall. Yeah, it is. I mean, you've got uh, decks uh, that you've taken to tournaments, uh, Cheerios, Lantern Control. Now uh, you're working on Blue Steel. I mean, they're all very interesting and seance included. 
Right. Seance is still on my to-do list. I have about a dozen decks that I really want to showcase and play at a big event. Seance, I've tried, but, you know, it still needs a little bit more to get there. Uh, it, it is really powerful, despite what some people may say. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And and definitely you understand the power of uh, kind of off-the-wall brew decks because you are the champion of GP Oklahoma 2015 with Lantern Control. And you really uh, spiked that tournament a little bit. I did. I did. That was... Uh, quite the tournament experience. Um, I did not have any buys going into it, and I managed to go undefeated on day one and then do well enough day two to top eight and secure a victory first place with a deck that I'm pretty sure 99% of the people had never seen before and one that really kind of sells the point that if you have a deck full of weak cards that offer strong synergies, those can beat stronger, more powerful cards, you know? That is really fascinating. And that coincides with why you've also been working on and helping to popularize Seance. So a little bit of background for the listening audience. The reason why we are talking about Seance for Halloween is because uh, Seance is uh, kind of a weird card. It doesn't seem like it does a lot. If you don't know what Seance is, it's a uh, four mana enchantment for two white white that came out in Dark Ascension. It's a rare. It says at the beginning of each upkeep, you may exit target creature from your graveyard. If you do, create a token that's a copy of that card, except it's a spirit in addition to its other types, exile it at the beginning of the next end step. And uh, Zach, why is it useful? Most people would say it's not because the creature you get, you can't attack with it. However, what it does do is it lets you reuse enter the battlefield effects, namely something like Mole Drifter. <laughs> or Siege Rhino. <laughs> Or Siege Rhino. Um, There's quite the number of creatures in Magic that say when this card enters the battlefield, do something. So it can can abuse any number of those. The popular uh, consensus of Seance is that it's a pretty garbage bulk rare because right now it's sitting on most websites for about 35 cents or 25 cents or even you can get it for maybe about a dime at the cheapest. And that's when a very mysterious post happened on Reddit. Uh, User Jobs141910 posted that uh, if anyone got Seance to a top tier premier level event uh, and also was able to top eight or win with it, that they would be receiving around $40,000 worth of Bitcoins from that in particular individual or group of individuals. And um, they were also instructing others to buy massive copies or as many copies as they could get a hold of a seance and destroy them, tear them up, burn them and give uh, photo evidence. And this is really interesting because the community kind of lumped and named this phenomenon as like the seance buyout. And then we kind of popularize and we now call that particular user the seance guy. But we really don't know if it's one person, male or female, or a group of people. I guess this is the burning question in a lot of people's minds. Zach, are you seance guy? (laughs) Uh, As much as I might claim that, no, I am not. Uh, That would be someone else. And uh, okay, so you're not, (laughs) yeah, you're not Seance Guy. I kind of figured that as much. But uh, do you know who Seance Guy could be? Uh, I suspect it's one person just from reading a bit of history about kind of what has been happening with Seance and why this person would have a fascination around it. Um, But no, I don't really know much 
on their background or their history or their reasonings for what they're doing, other than the results that you know we've seen online thus far. So the idea of buyouts with the intention of hoping to stock up on a card so that maybe the demand arises and people actually want it, and so the price of the card goes up and you can cash out, that isn't something that I've ever participated in when it comes to Magic, because I enjoy playing the game and brewing. Uh, but I do know a lot of people, I even know some people personally who have you know, purposely bought stuff out. And the thing with the seance is it felt a bit more extreme than the usual, let's have a guy secretly buy out stuff and, oh, look, the price of this card went up and we don't know why. It's been fun to watch and follow from what you said earlier, how the price of the card is still, you know, 30 something cents. It, it doesn't seem like there's been much of an effect as a result. Yeah, I don't think there's been very much of a success because you haven't won a GP yet with the Seance deck. <laughs> <laughs> not yet. <laughs> not yet, not yet. But you know what? This is a great segue. Uh, Zach, uh, you recently were doing a lot of brewing, a lot of thinking around the Seance deck, and Saffron Olive from MTG Goldfish even picked it up and did it against the odds video of it, like a four-color Seance. Could you tell us a little bit about the kind of the technology behind the Seance deck? Original deck that I kind of came up with... Um, um, this is one of the few decks where I wasn't inspired by someone else's idea or deck skeleton, if it were. And I, I kind of pieced together, okay, what cards would work really well with Seance because of their Enter the Battlefield effects or being able to reuse them? And I strung together uh, that the best cards that you could use were stuff like Drifter because specifically it had Evoke, which means you could put the card into your graveyard and draw two cards on turn three. And then on turn four, you could play a Seance and immediately revive it on your opponent's turn to draw two more cards. Yeah. Then I discovered, okay, if Drifter can Evoke, there's got to be another one. And sure enough, Shriek Maw is like a removal spell that you get to use twice. And it's very effective against most decks. And alongside that, Fulminator Mage, which doesn't have an Enter the Battlefield effect, but it is something that you can reuse, um, notably before turn four. You can play Fulminator Mage on turn three, blow up a land. Turn four, you play Seance, blow up another land. That puts you so far ahead on just being able to set up and get value and, you know, kind of establish this unbreakable Seance wall, if it were. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You can establish some really interesting synergies. Zach, did you have Siege Rhino or that was something that Saffron Olive added in later on? Siege Rhino was in uh, my second Seance deck. So when I uh, originally created and put together these cards for Seance, it was an Esper build just because I found, you know, Seance is white, Moldrifter is blue, Shriekmaw is black, and then you also get stuff like Lone Missionary or uh, Fulminator Mage. And then shortly after Esper, I'm like, what if I could use green instead of blue, green giving access to something like Seder Wayfinder, which is really good because that fills up your graveyard and helps make land drops, and that's a good effect to reuse. Uh, green also gives you Eternal Witness, which lets you buy back that Seance that you put in your graveyard from a turn two Wayfinder. And green gives you Siege Rhino, which is everyone's favorite standard rhino uh, <laughs> and <laughs> being able to reuse a siege rhino effect if you know the first one died for some reason uh, is pretty powerful yeah you win games very quickly with that card so what you're saying is that if you are going to be a dedicated seance brewer moving into the future for future sets because we don't know what's coming out in the future but we should be looking out for sets that have good enter the battlefield abilities Creatures with Enter the Battlefield are typically the easiest ones to find because you can just search, you know, for the Oracle text that starts with Enters the Battlefield. 
other ones that are good that are harder to find where it would be stuff like fulminator mage where you can sacrifice it because that means you can play it early turn one two or three sack it and then later get to use it again Sadisi's Faithful, I think it was, was a card that I played with in the beginning for a bit. That's a 0-4, one-mana creature that exploits, and when you exploit a creature, you bounce another creature. And I played that initially because that gave you something to do early. It was a good defender, a blocker. And then later, when you reanimated it with Seance, you could sack itself, you know, the token that didn't do anything, and bounce one of their creatures, gaining a bit of tempo. Or you could, you know sack something else to bounce your mole drifter to replay it and get more value out of it like it had a lot of uses but in practice it was a bit too clunky so i think the things to look for the best are cards that cost less than four because you want to curve into seance and cards that have an immediate effect when you play them was there ever a time when you were like okay i'm ready i've got seance sleeved up i'm going to go to a major tournament and let's just see if you could spike it was there a time that you did something like that uh there was a time And I believe it was last spring of this year, I decided, you know, I want to play this deck again. I really like Seance as much as people kind of give it flack. And so I put together the deck in paper, uh, played it at a local event, um, had a lot of fun with it, enjoyed toying with Smuller's Copter. And I thought, okay, I've got enough games in and I, I really like the build where it's at. And I feel like I've got my sideboard in place that I feel comfortable playing it in the Star City Open, which I think was in Dallas at the time. But I was I was excited to register and play in the Star City Open. Unfortunately, after registering for the event, I realized, you know, this was probably a week and a half later that the Star City event was on the same date as a Grand Prix and I had already signed up and bought my flight to go to this Grand Prix. And I don't know how I got these two dates mixed up together, but I was upset that, you know, I, I can't play Seans because I really need to go to this Grand Prix. I need, you know, chance to get pro points and to do well as opposed to go to the Star City. So didn't get to do the Star City event, didn't get to show off Seance, which kind of probably going to get a deck tech on that. I mean, who doesn't want to see what Seance is up to? And then that weekend happens. And I believe the Modern Master spoilers also happened kind of all in that same time frame and Seance got spoiled. And I'm like, you're kidding. Why, why is Seance in Modern Ma- No one plays with this card. And part of the reason is it, it fits a limited theme. Modern Masters 2017 has a lot of token producers and populate. And so when you populate a seance token, you get to keep it forever. And so that's kind of cool, I guess. So that might be a reason that's in there. But I was kind of upset because I was looking forward to taking this brew that I spent a good amount of time refining and working on, something that I knew was good, good enough to, you know, to compete with the big decks. And I was upset I didn't get to play it and I didn't get to spike this card um, that was only ever printed in Dark Ascension that probably has a f- lot fewer, you know, physical copies in existence because a lot of them may have gotten burned at some point. <laughs> <laughs> Destroyed, ripped up. Yeah, and, then, <laughs> and then Modern Masters happened, and now there's the, you know, it's just flooded. The market's just saturated with this card. And I'm like, okay, well. There goes that that opportunity. <laughs> That's really funny because I'm sure Seance Sky that weekend was all like, ah, <laughs> plan yeah, foiled. No <laughs> that is so interesting. That's hilarious. Well, uh, definitely uh, one of these days, um, all the cards will line up. No pun intended. Wow, there's a lot of puns this episode. Um, <laughs> the cards will line up. The cards are going to be in it for you. And then Seance will happen. And then you will make Seance Guy the happiest person in the community. 
hopefully we'll make a lot more people happy as well. Okay, everyone, I'll have more from Zach coming up in a little bit. But first, a word from our sponsors. Okay, Zach, for our Patreon supporters, you have a very special signed gift for them. What is it? You'd never guess. It's Seance. <laughs> It's Seance. I will be signing a good chunk of Seance cards and be very happy to send these out. As I don't know if you'd end up wanting to play with them, but that's okay. You can hold on to the card. You can burn the card if you want, because that's the flavor with that card, it seems. Or, you know, just frame it. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, it definitely is、um, such a. Bewitching concept. Ooh, Halloween, no pun intended. But <laughs> I mean, really, we're like drawing forth from the afterlife of seance. I mean, so many seances have died because <laughs> they've been, they've met an untimely end because of seance guy. And then also, we're trying to really bring this、uh, concept back to life、uh, with a brewing a seance deck. So I think our Patreon supporters will get a big kick out of it. So thank you so much, Zach. Yeah, you're welcome. No kidding. Boo, I got you again. Of course, I'm going to have Zach Elsick hook up all of my Patreon supporters with another copy, a signed seance. Yes, this is one of those special episodes where I'm giving away two signed cards. Epic. Head on over to patreon.com slash kitchen table magic and become a supporter right now. Hurry, time is running out. This episode of Kitchen Table Magic is brought to you by Card Kingdom. CardKingdom.com is a great place to shop for Magic the Gathering singles, sealed product, pre constructed decks, and gaming accessories. They have a huge selection of singles, from the latest sets to an ever flowing supply of modern and legacy staples. Card Kingdom also loves to buy Magic cards. They'll offer you cash or in store credit for your Magic singles. And if you're new to Magic, you'll love playing any one of the 36 new pre constructed battle decks built by Card Kingdom. Sign up for Card Kingdom's email newsletter to receive coupon codes and deck techs by Magic Pro Chris Van Meter. You'll get access to Card Kingdom's private reserve, which are special deals for Chase Rares at significantly discounted prices. Card Kingdom has so much to offer, so I hope you'll check them out. And if you'd like to support Kitchen Table Magic when shopping at Card Kingdom, please use our affiliate link. Just go to cardkingdom.com slash KTM. Okay, everyone, and we are back. Zach, I have some rapid fire questions for you. Are you ready? Aye, aye, Captain. Okay, here we go. Zach, rapid fire question number one. Of the five colors of magic white, blue, black, red, and green, which is your favorite color and why? My favorite color is blue and red. I, that's probably cheating, but that's okay <laughs> because I like blue more than I like red because I like control. But I, I felt like I had to include red in here because red not only does burn spells, but it's also kind of like a chaos theme or chaotic. And I feel like a lot of the decks that I enjoy playing want to do something silly or crazy or really off the wall. Okay, yeah. And I always ask, you know, what is the other color you'd pair it with? And you said red. Yeah, there you go. Okay, yeah. And is it mage through and through? You are a mad genius because you have been doing a lot of、uh, crazy brew. So I, I feel that's very flavorful of you. I didn't even consider that, but I guess you're right. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> and、uh, speaking of、uh, mad genius and Halloween, are you going to be dressing up as a mad genius for Halloween? Or maybe you should go as Seance. Maybe get a couple of friends and be Seance for Halloween. What, what would that even look like? <laughs> you at a table, you'd have to carry around a table with like a Ouija board or like a、oh, candle. That's a lot of effort. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. Or you could dress up like a spirit. A ghost. There you go. Yeah, you maybe you could be a ghost. Okay, well, that's. 
that's really interesting. Okay, okay. Zach, rapid fire question number two. If you could change something about Magic the Gathering, what would it be? I am someone who enjoys game design and game balance. Um, I really like playing a whole bunch of board games and seeing how people design stuff. And Magic is a very wide and big game in terms of, you know, design and balance and development. One thing that I've always wanted change, and it's, it's simple and it may be dumb, but that's okay because I enjoy playing with casuals as I, as much as I enjoy playing with competitive players is for every card that uses the word target to have that word bolded. So every time you see the word target on the card, the word target is bolded Ooh. because of how important that is for interacting with other players on the stack or trying to prevent something to happen and asking the question, does that target? And just seeing it bolded, simple, easy design decision, in my opinion. Wow, I love it. In my 50 plus episodes, I have never had a guest say that. So that's wonderful. Thank you for contributing that, Zach. Yeah, it might happen one day. We still have time, but we can't like in Hearthstone go back and fix everything that's already been printed. So who knows? That's true. That's true. Okay, Zach, rapid fire question number three. If you could give something to every Magic player, what would it be? So this one's a bit of a deep response. Being someone who enjoys brewing decks and who enjoys experimenting with the unknown, uh, I'd like to give the idea or belief to fellow brewers out there or spikes or who, who have you. You don't have to play with the best deck that's out there and you don't have to believe that what's already known is known and this is the best way to go about playing something or just because this many people top eight with this deck or perform well with it mean that's the only way to do things that there's always options and there's always different synergies to be discovered and different deck strategies to be brewed. And I think one of the biggest prime examples is what I did with Lantern and how I was able to showcase that it's not a deck that wins through combat damage. It's not a control deck that wins through card advantage. And it's not a combo deck that wins with like a two card combo. It's like this different idea or way to play a game and win that, you know, doesn't seem possible, but it is. And so my advice would be to never give up. Stay determined in what you choose to focus on, I suppose. That's great. Number four, Zach, what do you see in the future of Magic the Gathering? So the future of Magic, that's always a fun one to to ponder on just because it seems like so much changes, but at the same time, like the core of this game stays the same and it's been like the same way for the past 20 years where you just put magic cards into play and then you turn them sideways and someone ends up winning. I would really like to see something along the digital aspect, you know, digital esports with software as opposed to physical cards that could make the game feel more like an esport. And this goes for something like the Pro Tour, where when you stream people playing with cards, you could stream people playing with the cards on the software, and then it can be more visually appealing and easier for people to get into and understand because they can kind of see how things work. I think I think there's a future in that. I don't know how it could be done. I, I would like to see that come into being. Okay, yeah, very cool. And last, Zach, do you have any asks or requests of the listening audience? If you want to follow along with the crazy brews that I come up with on pretty much a weekly basis, you can find me on Twitter, which is UTDZAC, Z-A-C, so just six letters. Um, I'm also pretty easy to find on Facebook. If you ever have a brew you're working on, you have questions, you can look me up. I'm like the only Zach Elsick that's out there. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, I don't do that much in terms of social, social media, but I'm definitely willing to talk about any type of brews 
or definitely share what I'm working on because I think the more people that enjoy playing with what I'm playing with is uh, I, I, that's just amazing to me. The fact that people would enjoy playing with silly nonsense like I do. Do you have a column anywhere that you write regularly? Um, I do have some articles on Newmont Gaming. I don't end up writing that often just because of uh, time constraints and other activities that I participate in. So unfortunately, I don't have somewhere that I could direct people for written content or video content for that matter. Well, that's okay. I'll have links in the show notes at kitchentablemagic.org to the articles that Zach has written and all of the interesting things that you have done and also your Twitter handle at U-T-D-Z-A-C. And uh, Zach, I just wanted to thank you on behalf of the community for your contributions in brewing and also working to make all of these really interesting brews and all these really interesting decks, taking it from the forums, taking it from the people. It's been, like you said earlier, a really collaborative effort. It's not just you created Lantern Control. It was really the community created Lantern Control. You helped refine it, and then you kind of brought it to prominence. So I've lost to Lantern Control a couple of times, definitely begrudgingly, but definitely it's been an awesome innovation and an awesome experience. So thank you, Zach, for doing that, because you've really added a lot of fun to the community. And uh, best of luck with Seance. Yeah, absolutely. And thank you very much. I'm glad people are interested in this as well. Well, this is the moment we've all been waiting for. Seance Guy is going to answer some questions for us. First of all, to protect Seance Guy's anonymity, these questions were spoken by a voice actor. Then, the audio was distorted. I can confirm the legitimacy of these answers because they come from the real Seance Guy through a private message I received from Reddit user Jobs141910. Please enjoy this rare interview with Seance Guy. Tell us about when you first came up with the idea of the Seance buyout. Sorry, I can't answer that, as it would reveal too much, and I'd rather say nothing than have to lie. What was going on in your life? Same thing as always. Speculation on the market. I use Bitcoin and stocks as a hobby, and somewhat professionally. Did you talk about it with friends? Yes, there are lots of people who know my secret identity. No one on Reddit, though. What is your motivation for the Seance buyout? Sorry, I can't answer any questions as to my motivation. Did anyone ever confront you about being Seance Guy and you had to lie to them to deny it? I've regrettably denied it because I didn't want to waste time at the cocktail reception I was at because I was busy networking and I knew it would drag on. Where did you get $40,000 worth of Bitcoins? I made them with good old CPU and GPU, just like everyone else before ASICs. Will you really pay out all those Bitcoins to whoever breaks Seance in a deck at a premier event? I had planned to, but I received a call a day or so after the postings on my personal phone from an Alex Andrazi. Or Antrezzi, or Antrazi, I forget, who was on the European legal team at the time, and he expressed his concern over my making a mockery of their final modern pro tour. I'm not sure how they got my home number. I also checked and saw they are still making modern pro tours, so I imagine it may not have been a legitimate call. Maybe it was from a friend who knows me in real life and wanted to dash my plans. How much satisfaction did you get from seeing all those people in the community come out and destroy Seance? At one point, when it was on an upswing, I didn't know how popular it would be. I thought this might be getting too big. I ended up stopping way before it became too big. I stockpiled Reddit Gold, which was purchasable with Bitcoin, a while ago expecting to pay out for a lot more, but the post died down pretty rapidly. 
As my friends have said, I'll never be a real celebrity, just an eternal wannabe. Are you trying to send a message to the magic community? No. People speculate that you're trying to make a statement about MTG finance or brewing, or you're just being an activist or troll. What good things did you see come out of this seance mystery? And do you feel that Watsi reprinting Seance in Modern Masters 2017 is an accomplishment from the community's response to the Seance buyout? I actually learned that there is a ton of paid promotional employees that crawl Reddit all day, every day. Reddit is a source for a lot more jobs than people expect. I had many offers from big, non-magic YouTubers, other Redditors, and other social media companies who wanted to provide content as an advertisement, advertorials, and visual product placement. They wanted to provide the same services they normally use for products for my seance, as I'm guessing they didn't know what Magic the Gathering was. They thought I had made the card, or was willing to pay to advocate the card. It's too bad Boogie2988 didn't want to participate. I think he's the only YouTuber at the time I'd have trusted with my important message. When I talked with a Hasbro friend of mine, they said they asked about the seance reprint for me. They reprinted it because their polling showed lots of people were listing it as their favorite card of all time at exceptional rates. The team that worked on that set might not have even heard of the meme. Another good thing that people are learning is that the E in Seance is Alt-0233. Very important education there. What bad did you see come out of this Seance mystery? I also learned there are lots of scammers in the Magic the Gathering community. I saw some people who tried to get away with showing videos or pictures where I could make out that a pile of cards was not entirely seances, but bulk behind a few copies before being destroyed. I always give the benefit of the doubt, but some people are trying to lie with such little effort and makes me pity them. Do you have a super secret seance deck that you're working on? I actually don't build seance decks. A few months ago I commissioned a think tank of some lesser known bros to individually try to create seance decks for me to evaluate. There was definitely a lot of cool ones including Hornet Queen on the opponent's upkeep, so Greater of Behemoth on your upkeep surprises your opponent with 29 trampling damage, and a lot of complicated ones. Fiend Hunter plus Safi for reanimation loops, or Druid's Deliverance plus Eternal Witness locking the game up with unlimited fogs until you can attack with enough damage to kill them. The conclusion I came to was that playing haste creatures or attempting to play the long controlling game was never even attempted, because they were the worst versions of the deck. Pros appeared to want to out-midrange your opponent by being able to stop aggro decks in their tracks and out-value control decks that didn't remove the seance. The most super-secret thing I can tell you out of that was that a couple of pros said if Wizards prints just one more one-mana strong creature, it will easily become Tier 1. A creature the deck wants would be a hapless researcher in Modern, or a Viserysator that makes clues instead of scries. Then it would have the completed one-drop slot that it needs to keep up with the speed of Modern while completing its game plan. Who are you? I am always an idea, but I am often one person. Are you a man, woman, or group of people? I started as just a man, but since so many people know who I am in real life, I've taken to working with the group. When did you first start playing Magic? Right around when the Lehman Brothers bankrupted. What formats do you like to play? All the ones where Seance is legal. Shocking, I know. What deck archetypes do you like to play? I'm what they call a one-trick pony. What would you like to say to the community? There's rumors that I'm Rudy, Rose, Jason, or many other names. I've done exact searches for my name on Reddit, and there's no matches on any search engine. Please don't bother people because of rumors. It's very unbecoming. Also, if you could go to your local game store and buy, then destroy their seances, that would be really great. How many seances do you have? I have four foil framed seances in my bathroom. I recently acquired four signed artist proofs. Whoa, wasn't that epic? Three guests in one show? Super special thanks to Jason Alt, Zach Elsick, and of course, the mysterious Seance Guy for gracing the show with his presence. Be sure to connect with Jason and Zach on Twitter and let them know what you think about this episode. I'll have all of the links in the show notes at kitchentablemagic.org. 
Thanks everyone for listening to this week's show. I want to thank all of my spooky Patreon supporters: Brian, James L, Marcus, Alex, Trevor, Caitlin, Mark, Aaron M, Neil, James G, Aaron C, Jonathan, Corey, Chad, James E, Joe, Logan, The Magic Man Sam, Jesse, Ben, Nick, Eternal Dirtles, Matthias, Charlie. Geraint and Scryfall. Supporters at the $6 level or higher are getting signed copies of Seance from Jason Alt and Zach Elsick. Listeners, if you'd like to get special gifts from my guests, especially the spooky ones, become a supporter at patreon.com/kitchentablemagic. Of course, now that I've partnered with Card Kingdom, there's a new way to support the show. When you shop at Card Kingdom, just use my affiliate link, cardkingdom.com/ktm. Thank you again to all of my Patreon supporters, past, present, and future. Your support of Kitchen Table Magic allows me to share stories about the amazing people in the Magic: The Gathering community with the world, even those super mysterious ones like Seance Guy. If you haven't heard already, I've created a new YouTube channel called Play MTG. It's an upbeat, fast-paced YouTube channel featuring deck techs from the pros, learn-to-play tutorials, level-up advice, card discussion, community news, and more. Just go to youtube.com/c/playmtg. Special thanks to Dev for the shoutout on his YouTube channel that helped me get a bunch of new subscribers. I really appreciate your support, Dev. Follow the channel on Twitter at play underscore mtg. It's also on Facebook at facebook.com slash play mtg, all one word. I'm looking forward to creating new content, and I've got some collaborations and new videos in the works. Be sure to subscribe to Kitchen Table Magic on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, SoundCloud, Stitcher Radio, Hipsters of the Coast, and MTGCast.com. Follow the show on Twitter at KTM Podcast. The show is on Facebook.com/KitchenTableMagicPodcast. All of the show notes are at KitchenTableMagic.org. If you're new to the show, there's plenty of past episodes to listen to, and please be sure to share KTM with a friend. Coming up in the next episode of Kitchen Table Magic. Back in uh, uh, 2009, uh, was uh, I went to Boston. I actually didn't know what to expect. I think when it comes to collections, and you know, this is 2009, you kind of you don't know what to expect, right? I walked in this dining room area. You guys, I'm not kidding. It was packed with stuff. It was insane. This guy was just like me, you know, love, had a passion for history, passion for everything. We're talking about magic art to cards, sets, boxes, original wizards, letters of investing, you know, everything. There was like, you know, a couple alpha sets, beta sets, Arabian doubles of everything, unlimited, everything, everything, you know, duplicates. But what really stood out and what sparked my magic art collecting was, I think it was like 25 or 30 original artworks and he was in love with Drew Tucker, which is actually one of my most favorite artists in the world. At that point, I was like thinking, wait, I thought all the magic art was already sold and it's gone. So this is amazing. Like, how do you value something like that, right? At that point, I knew nothing. Uh, I don't know what this is worth, right? Type of thing. The art that was there was like most of every Drew Tucker art ever out there. City in the Bottle, the famous Dan Dan, Repentant Blacksmith, Her Jackal, so the Arabian Nights series. We had alpha pieces like Rob Alexander's Savannah. Just, I don't know, guys, it was, it was a lot of art. It was crazy. I almost didn't get the deal. All this money you're talking about, I almost didn't buy the deal because uh, we didn't know what to value the art. The value of the deal was $35,000 for everything, the art, everything. 
and we were fighting, well not fighting, but we were literally like saying, the art I think is at least worth $500 more. I was thinking to myself, no, because I don't know what it's worth, right? Finally, it was done. I said, I gave in, I budged. And MTG investors out there, this is where it began to me that you have to pay more and you can't be so like micro about overpaying because you realize that it's a eureka moment of you just got to pay more. You can't look at current market value. You got to look at the future of what it could be and clicked in my brain literally that wait a second, I need to invest in the art. I need to collect the art. I need to find more. I was, I was hooked. I'm talking to the legendary collector of all things vintage magic, Daniel Chang, owner of VintageMagic.com. Daniel has seen it all. The rarest of the rare, alpha sets, power nine, black lotuses, original art, even cards that are rumored not to exist. Daniel travels the world connecting buyers and sellers with priceless artifacts of Magic the Gathering history. Daniel shares the stories of his most memorable encounters and his thoughts on MTG Finance. Join us for a rare glimpse into the private collection of the world's most valuable dealer, Daniel Chang of Vintage Magic, all on the next episode of Kitchen Table Magic.